live from beyond the Beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat strategist Ben Isabel. Conservative Lieutenant Colonel retired Ryan Yantis of the U.S. Army and Professor Paul Post from the University of Chicago. He's an international relations expert and uh, uh, we will offer his or he will offer his expertise on Russia and Ukraine and everything that's happening in that part of the world. But uh, and again, we'll, we're really going to do, do a deep dive into that in the second hour this evening. But I, I want to spend the first hour because we have a, we have a returning guest and we also have a, a, a guest making his maiden voyage this evening. So I want to talk about and there are on different sides of the political aisle. I want to talk a little bit about uh, where we are politically in this country. And uh, I want to begin with a, with, a, with a positive question. Is there any issue of a national nature, is there any issue that you think could bring the country together again, that everybody would get, you know, on the same page? And I'm going to begin with our young Democrat, uh, Ben Isabel. Welcome to the program. Nice to have you with us. Uh, you're a political operative in the state of Illinois. We'll talk more about that as the program unfolds, a native of Rome, Georgia. So what's your answer to the question? I think that um, as we sort of look at where we are, uh, I, I um, come from sort of state politics, so my, my uh, point of view has already sort of looked at that that way. But mm-hmm. looking at the national picture, um, I think that it's hard. It's hard to see where we can come together because I think we are so divided and so easily um, it's so easy to 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 light a match and something catch on fire with uh-huh. it, with either party. But I think if we're looking at um, I think economic development, um, it was really nice to see last year that the um, infrastructure bill, uh, the one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill that Biden um, and Congress passed, that saw a lot of um, a lot of cross party support. Um, I think that. It's sad that that's really the only uh, place that we're we seem to find uh, common ground recently. But I, especially working in state to- politics, there's been a okay. lot of economic development issues where okay. seem, people seem to come together. Uh, Ryan, what uh, what's your thought on that issue? And, and I'm gonna understanding where I'm saying this. I would ask people to step away from the microphone right. and stop talking at each other and start talking to and with each other. But about what subjects? You know, that's the problem. Uh, <clears throat> but. One of the focal points that I see as being very stimulating is how education is being handled in the pandemic. And primary, secondary education especially, parents are very concerned about their children. So if we got people to start talking with each other and really having good dialogues instead of just saying, this is the way it's going to be, my way or the highway, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a very good place to start. But I'll agree with Ben. It's a very difficult area to find one point to get people not to be throwing things at each other. Could you have a real serious, wide-open discussion of education, Ben, without, as a Democrat, fearful that you might step on the toes of the teachers' union? I think it's difficult. Um, I think you want to, um, because you obviously want to make sure, uh, coming from the teachers' union side, that um, everyone has the tools they need. Mm-hmm. We are still uh, in the middle of a pandemic. We, you know, uh, signs do point 
um, in the right direction, but we are still in the middle of a really um, bad wave. And I, I think that, uh, you know, going, if you're looking at basically like the Chicago Teachers Union and uh, Mayor Lightfoot side of things, mm-hmm. I'd, uh, I can, you know, honestly, I see both sides of that issue. I, I want, you know, I want to make sure that the teachers have everything that they need um, uh, resource-wise and that they are, you know, that we are testing appropriately. But I also see that, you know, it's it's hard to just, it's hard to not, as a parent, to not know, you know, like, am I going to be in school the next day or not? Ryan, can we, uh, can we agree at a time when uh, it appears that uh, more and more people of all political stripes are losing confidence in the CDC and some of these government edicts over uh, COVID over the last couple of years. Uh, Your reaction to that? Uh, I was listening to the radio on my drive down here, and I heard one uh, quip about, you know, the latest variant of uh, COVID is confusion variant Mm -hmm. uh, and just the indeterminate information lag and missteps by the CDC and others as they've tried to communicate about this disease, uh, the proper procedures, nope, wait, that's not the right way to do it. Do it a different way. Nope, we didn't mean this, we meant that. And uh, that level of, of inconsistency from an authoritarian base, base of uh, information has made things tougher. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to I come back to uh, hardball political nuts and bolts questions, and Ben, uh, this certainly affects uh, you at the statewide level because uh, members of the Illinois General Assembly are running for re-election just as sure. General Assemblies all over the country are, are running, uh, uh, you know, at, at this time of the year. My question to you is, uh, if, you, if you look at the national media, mm-hmm. basically the story, there, there's a drumbeat out there that Joe Biden isn't living up to either his promises or he's disappointing people. The NBC poll that came out today, uh, it, it wasn't very good for him in any category, certainly with independence. And, and, and that constant drumbeat, it, it's not just Fox News. It, it's a drumbeat from a lot of big media sources that traditionally have been supportive of the president or supportive of Democratic administrations. So with someone out there in the trenches, I mean, uh, when you and your buddies are getting together and, and talking campaign shop <laughs> i mean uh what are you talking about and, and and are you worried about those numbers sure i mean it's definitely um it's definitely disheartening to see uh the disconnect um in our politics or in the democratic party right now because of <clears throat> where the numbers are versus you know with the outcomes and people just aren't feeling those those outcomes um throughout their life i mean you know things have you know we ha- are dealing with inflation issues you know we have been dealing with supply chain issues although they are getting better um i just it's it's hard because so um because the national media narrative looks at joe biden and says well where's the conflict well the conflict is between joe manchin christian cinema and the rest of the it seems the rest of the senate and what we're not getting done and i think that is can be said that there is um you know not an ideal um setting of expectations in my opinion and does the public understand what's in the infrastructure bill that is already passed which was which was a monumental accomplishment sure. of bipartisanship which is what joe biden promised but does the average person know that uh, you know a, a highway is going to be built within 10 miles that may speed up their uh, commute to work 
Sure. I don't. I mean, I. You know, I probably if I you know doing campaign stuff today, I probably couldn't tell you someone who, besides you know the the roads and bridges part of it, couldn't right. really. And uh, but you know, I do see you know I do see a lot of. Um, at least a lot of Democrats and where I, I live and a lot of in my area, you know, touting the good things about it. I know uh, Representative Brad Schneider, uh, for instance, did at, uh, a press conference near where I live uh, recently about um, the bridges that uh, they're going to fix in our area. And I think that's great. Um, but I, I think that it's up to um, the Democratic Party as a whole to better message the benefits and better message, you know, things like the fact that um, like this past year was the biggest single year drop in unemployment, the greatest year of job growth um, in American history, um, and just like the, the great things that Joe Biden has done in his first year. Mm -hmm. Ryan, from the people that you speak with, are they uh, excited about uh, what's, what's going on? Well, yeah, I think it's more that Joe Biden is living up to it's a his capabilities. Again, okay, we, we got a break. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. 
Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and I understand that our musical uh, group has taken the night off. We're <laughs> checking to see whether they're in a bus somewhere. We could do some karaoke if you need. Yeah, you know what? I, I, you know, I don't know whether I have a tissue paper or a comb. I could do a little. I could do a little buzzing, but we're. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's our. Uh, that's our little prop. So again, if we get to a commercial break, if you hear me humming. In the background, it means that we're about to go to a break, but for some reason our uh, music tonight is, is misfiring. Uh, I want to get back to uh, something that, that, that you've talked about before, and that is uh, because w- what you do uh, in private life, you're involved in leadership uh, and looking for leadership and looking for skills. And my question to you is, is there a leadership perception that President Biden has? I think... Uh... President Biden has lost his edge on leadership for much of the country. Why? Um, he doesn't really connect with us uh, on a personal level. And part of the problem in, in modern discourse is to demonize the opponent. <clears throat> but um, I've been a card-carrying, um, constitution-supporting American since birth, and somehow I've suddenly become part of the opposition. And I just want to have my vote. I want to have my word. I want to have my opportunity to speak. And I think that goes for a lot of people. Opposition to who, by the way? Uh, Opposition to the entrenched elements of government. Um, Earlier, Ben mentioned the CTU. Chicago Teachers Union has had a lock hold on education here in the Chicago area. And around around the country as well. And and the Democratic Party has had a lock hold on Illinois for as long as I've lived here. Uh And... The state has not done a whole lot or a whole lot better in the past 20 years. And we're seeing a flight of people out of Illinois who are seeking economic opportunities in other yeah. places. Now, what's your answer to that, Ben? I mean, we, we, by the way, I don't mean to turn the program into a program about Illinois, but <laughs> Illinois is not unique uh, because right. there are other states that virtually all of the constitutional officers are Democrat. The legislature is Democrat. Uh, all the major cities are uh, Democrat, uh, for the most part. And, uh, and the state is in a mess. And, and, and Democrats have been in control for, for a long time in this state. So what is your answer when, um, obviously, you're sitting with your Democratic you know, uh, friends and neighbors, uh, colleagues. I mean, they think it's great because you can just you can easily reelect your Democratic member of, of, of the House or Senate in all likelihood. But what's happening to the state? How do you answer those people who come up to you who who aren't politically engaged and say this state is a mess? So what's, uh, what I'd say to that is that um, during uh, when, when we were in the Rauner administration, I think that, you know, I don't want to. I'm not a, a poo-poo or own Bruce Rauner, but like uh, I, I think that they're, you know, not having a budget, not working. I think that, you know, Bruce Rauner was one of the ones that came in and, and thought he was... the former Republican governor of Illinois, one-term multi-millionaire, billionaire. And thought that, you know, his way, it was, you know, lower, more his way or the highway and mm-hmm. like uh, side of things and not really engaging with the uh, General Assembly. And I think that... That was a detriment. I mean, we didn't have a budget for two years. We, we, our credit was downgraded several times. And I think that under this current administration, under uh, our Governor Pritzker, that we really, 
you know, we had, you know, it takes a long time to turn a big ship around, but I think that that our ship is going in the right direction. We've had um, credit upgrade in the past year. Um, we've had balanced budgets. We're investing in um, a lot of the things that we should be investing in. Beck, I, w- I want to go. I'm going to come back to to Joe Biden and find out sure. what 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 can he knew what can he do if anything to regain uh, at least some of the promises that he made during the campaign. Because well, I, some I of the promises it. that he made during the campaign yeah. was to be more of a moderate and to find right. common ground and a lead from the middle. Uh, and it seems to many that he is just beholding to the, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. And he is doing those and things. And how would you feel about those that say that the Republicans haven't cooperated? Or should they cooperate? Well, is, there any re- is there any reason why a Republican should cooperate with Joe Biden on anything? If the president comes to Congress and he has yeah. good ideas and he articulates them out well in a way that can be acceptable, uh-huh. sure. And it's the same thing. You reach across the aisle and you find compromise. Um, and they, that's a very tough thing to do on both sides of the aisle. You know, I, I think it's very, very telling that, uh, and I'll probably get her name wrong, but uh, a senator from Arizona, Cinema. Uh, Cinema, yeah. Right. Uh, she was just recently censured by the Democratic Party of Arizona. Right. And all she was doing was upholding the Constitution and the rules of the Senate. In her opinion. In her opinion. What now, in their opinion, now that's the beauty of a democratic system. Yeah. They're having their voice. But it's also sad. What, what do you think of the way that the Democrats in Arizona have handled uh, Kristen Sinema, Ben? Um, so I have to say that I think... Th- that it it's sad that it came to that i i think that it's fr- i think it's there there as a party at least in the democrats in the senate are frustrated because they feel like they've worked on this voting rights legislation for the past five months and then really don't have a lot to show for it because um you have um senator cinema and senator mansion who are holding to a role that like the filibuster role that has been changed numerous times over history and you know, really, like it's it's the Senate has become a place that that things go to to halt and to not move forward. And I I, I understand that they are the deliberative body, but it's you know I I don't think that um, it's because for someone like Senator Manchin, who has pretty much been steadfast his whole you know, political career, but then you have someone like uh, Senator Cinema who was a Green Party activist, and it's just, and, you know, said things in the past, I get people change, can change their mind, but over the years, and learn new things, but she's, she's really been all over the place, and I don't think the party really knows what to make of her, and so, and something but is... she is a Democrat, she was there right. to organize the Senate, and, and shouldn't, and I would say the same thing for the Republican Party, I mean, if you have someone who really believes in it, whether it's Kristen Sinema on one issue, or uh, uh, Ms. Cheney on the other, Liz Cheney on the other. I mean, granted, they'll they'll get slapped around when they go back home, uh, but they're standing for something. And and we're in a world now where if you stand for something, you you can get beat up if it's not the absolute doctrinaire, uh, you know, response or, or or script to be read by your party. And I'm wondering what, how, how good that is. Do you want someone to, to be lockstep when they go? Arizona isn't used to having a lockstep senator. They've always had a maverick senator, whether it was John McCain or Barry yeah. Goldwater. So 
She just happens to be the Democratic version of, of them. So what's wrong with that? I think the frustration lies where it's if something as important as voting rights and the fact that the Democratic Party and I feel that, um, you know, with this this. Um, Republican-led states that have put in restricting uh, restricting voting laws and uh, type of voter suppression. I think it's it's too important an issue. And when you know when I was listening to an interview of uh, Secretary of State um, Tony Blinken recently, where he said, you know, someone he asked he was asked, "Do you still get asked around the world like how can you tell us you know how do you, how do you come to us and say that our you know we're we're faltering as a democracy when you can't even hold your democracy together. What do you and I think, think that's you're, scary. you're you're from Georgia. Yes, sir. So tell us. Uh, and again, you haven't been in Georgia for a while, but I'm sure you've got friends and relatives back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they say about the election results the last time around? I mean, do they think that uh, there was chicanery and skullduggery? Are they happy with the way that the the vote came out? Uh, well, I come from an area of Georgia that's uh, usually about seventy percent Republican. Right. So um, there, uh, there's an interesting dichotomy going but have on. People stopped. Who is stopped voting under the under the current uh, and, and proposed law in the state of Georgia? Who who is being pushed back and held from voting? I mean, I think that when this law fully takes effect in this election, uh, this twenty twenty two election, that it'll be minority voters, it'll be African-American voters that see the brunt of this. Um, because you already see where um, they're already t- trying to take over uh, one of the elections, or the electoral, um, sorry, the electoral commission, um, and uh, one of the Atlanta count- the counties that surround Atlanta, you're seeing where they're, um, you know, taking away uh, voting, uh, sorry, places to drop off vote by mail, they're taking away, they're just, they're gearing, it, 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 everything points to they're gearing up towards uh, things, you know, putting things in place and having things in place that will just, it'll be had, harder to vote. We it'll had be harder a, to vote. We had, a, we had an election expert on this show last week from MIT, mm-hmm. uh, and this is his area of expertise is elections, and he said he, is, he has looked at, at some of these charges, and, and the, the result is when, when you put up a, what you think to be some sort of a, a roadblock, uh, it never really turns out to be much of a roadblock. Because the Democratic Party, in, in many cases, or the Republican Party, they see that some people may be disenfranchised, so they, they increase the outreach to that group, and that increases some degree of turnout. Now, whether it's 100 percent, he said, not necessarily, he said, but there's no real evidence that that exists anywhere. And this this is a guy. This is a guy who studies. By the way, on the subject of that, we have Joy listening to us. Uh, Joy, are you there? On line one. Joy. Can you hear me? Oh, oh God, hi. Here hear I you. am. You blew my earline. <laughs> Earl- oh, uh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <clears throat> By the way, where are you calling uh, from, Joy? Well, I'm at the dog park right now in Spokane. Oh, okay, at the dog park. Okay. <laughs> Don't forget to bring your plastic bag. That's right. Very important. Well, I I've got it in uh, my uh, hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Hello? Do you hear me? We can hear you. We heard my little deedle-dee and deedle-dum. And now we actually hear music. The band has arrived, and we're going to listen to them for about 10 seconds sell you something and then we'll be back we'll jump for joy in Spokane Washington
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. And uh, at this point, we're going to take a moment and let our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with... Ben Isabel, who's making his uh, first appearance. Ben, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, so first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. I, I come from Georgia, just north of Atlanta in a town called Rome, Georgia. I moved to Chicago uh, in 2013. My first degree is in, uh, first college degree was in theater. So I moved to uh, pursue acting and theater in Chicago. And I had, I uh, was privileged to have a lot of uh, good successes. And then um, just, um, after the Trump administration started and a lot of my friends were getting involved in politics, um, I had also done a lot with um, 
videography, and so that's I, I lended my services to certain campaigns. And then um, in 2019, I was privileged to work with uh, Senator Laura Fine in Springfield, and I uh, worked there for a couple of years and moved back uh, to the area recently in Buffalo Grove, and now I uh, work as her chief of staff. Why are you a Democrat? Why am I a Democrat? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a deep question. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Uh, my parents were, my parents are Republicans, but they're more what you would not, uh, more like a Reagan Republican, more like economic, mm -hmm. big business Republican than um, what today's um, Republican really is, or can be. Um, and I uh, just, I guess I surrounded myself with people that um, either, you know, I I come from a lot of my friends were LGBTQ um, mm -hmm. growing up, uh, being in theater um, that can, you know, have a uh, some people in that and that I, they, uh, you know, I just saw that um, I think that they weren't um, being able to live up with their full potential. Um, you know, that was when uh, that was when Donuts Don't Tell was in. Um, was still in play uh, that are still a, a, a policy that was when you know they don't have have the right to marry and I just I mm -hmm. that's sort of what um, but I'd always I'd always uh, I've always been a uh, current events nerd and <laughs> mm -hmm. and I was so when you, know, you go home for Thanksgiving is there a lot of gnashing of teeth I mean when your parents and you start talking about politics no, or are they, um, it, 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 you, they're they're more moderate Republicans. They're more moderate. They actually voted uh, Democrat in this last election for the first time. Okay. <laughs> um, but my uh, extended family is uh, very, uh, very, very red, okay. uh, very Republican, red Republican. <laughs> and your home district is represented by Marjorie Taylor Greene. That is correct. Okay. Uh, let's go to you, Ryan Yantis. Tell everybody about what your your road to becoming a lieutenant colonel. Uh, Army officer, uh, graduated from University of Missouri-Columbia mm -hmm. in uh, 1983. I was a, uh, a expat from California, so yeah. I was a uh -huh. California Republican child okay. growing Surely. up in there were a the lot of California them. of Reagan. There were a lot of them then. Yep. Sure. And uh, enjoyed a lot of things about that state. Went off uh, and ended up in the college 22 years uh, in the Army. Uh, lived in uh, Europe. Uh, over in Asia, did some time in Africa and other places. Ended up back in the States uh, just in time to be in the Pentagon when he got hit by a mm -hmm. plane, uh, which was certainly a life-changing event. Mm -hmm. I got assigned here to Chicago in 2003 to open an office to do outreach and public engagement mm -hmm. for the Army and did that till 2006. Mm -hmm. And when it was time to retire, uh, we looked and we thought it was going to be a good place to retire in in have a second career in mm -hmm. the Chicago area. Uh, since then, I've done nonprofit leadership, and I'm currently involved in uh, public speaking, uh, writing a book uh, with mm -hmm. other 9-11 uh, survivors. And you've written this book, uh, which is about 9-11. Mm -hmm. And again, if people want to get a copy of it, uh, what do they do? They can go online. Right. It's available on Amazon. Uh, you just look up... Uh, American Pride is the nonprofit. It's a uh, out of Indiana, but it's 9/11 survivor stories, Midwest memories. All of the contributors to the book are volunteers, and we put it together in a pandemic via Zoom and email. So, okay. self-published, 
And uh, we're Very coming good. out with a hardback version, hopefully at the end of this month. Very good. That's Let's cool. go back to Joy. She's been standing by holding her breath. <laughs> Are you still there, Joy? <laughs> I am still okay. here. Go ahead. You got to, you're on um, the air. I just, okay. I was just going to say, uh, I grew up on Air Force bases. My dad was a B-2 pilot starting, um, joining the Air Force during World War II. And I worked for the EPA in the 70s. I worked briefly for the city of Mountain View. And, you know, I've always looked at government, government service as something with real pride and something that you want your best people there. And I think now looking at a lot of our elected officials, um, they've just become so extreme. And I just I find it just so, so discouraging and almost hopeless of getting involved in the um, political um, arena. And just, for example, our, we have a small group that I belong to that is kind of a, it's with my church. And I was trying to explain what I thought was an issue that's around values, but everything now is so politicized. And mm-hmm. I, there were some more conservative people in my group. I'm just struggling. Do I say conservative? Do I say Republican? And I'm, I was really thinking of the very extreme. Those, um, I know I probably shouldn't name names, but the radio show, some Dan Bagino or Mark yeah. Levin, who are so extreme. And on the left, there's that too. And You know, and I ended up insulting some people because they said, well, I'm conservative, but I wear a mask. And another woman said, we should have a common sense party. And I Mm -hmm. think, I don't know how we get back to having a common sense party where people can actually work together. I think you see it more at the city level, maybe at the county level. But so much happens at the federal and state level to really address these big problems well, I you hope also, someone would have an answer to that. <laughs> you also have it, uh, just from, from a cultural standpoint, you also have it uh, with media. I mean, we have yes. uh, uh, yeah. you know, media oracles in the United States, whether it's Fox News or, or whether it's MSNBC or CNBC uh, or CNN, rather. Uh, they, they preach to their choir, and they're not interested in preaching to anyone else's choir. And yet you look at who, where it's popular. I mean, the popular place to be is Fox. And, and Fox, yep. Fox has a, they have a point of view. I happen to think, generally speaking, they can do a pretty good job when they're go, when, in, during their objective news blocks. I really do. And I watch it a lot. But I also watch uh, uh, CNN, and uh, it, it's, as, it's as much of a cheerleader on the left as, as some things that Fox says uh, on the right. And again, I'm I'm not uh, I don't uh, watch or listen to the others uh, as much as I have in the past, so I can't really you know comment on Newsmax and some of the others. But again, if you if if you only want to hear what you want to hear to reinforce, there is a place for you to go, and it's now making money. That source is making money. I don't think CNN is making much money, but uh, they they're still trying. All right, we're going to move on. We're going yeah, to go. I, go yeah. Last okay. word to you. Last word to you because you waited a long time, and then we're going to go on. No, I just I think there's millions of us around here who are 
someone in, somewhere in between on the spectrum between far left and far right who want to address the real issues. We want to deal with homelessness. We want to deal yeah. with the environment. And we're seeing fewer and fewer ways of doing that without it becoming this huge political fight. And it's just it's it's very discouraging. Ryan is raising his hand. He wants to be one of those people. Well, and Joy, thank you for uh, calling in and being patient. Uh, um, I'm the support human for a couple of uh, rescue dogs that my wife owns. So I feel your pain being at the dog park. Uh, the thing that I'd say when you're chatting with folks who are not in the same uh, ideological bent as you, um, one of the, the things that I've learned to do, especially since living here in, in Illinois, is I ask a lot of questions and using the Socratic method, ask more questions, try to understand their viewpoint, where they're coming from, what is their motivation, and, and asking them, you know, and how's that working for you? Uh, I remember at one point when I worked at the state of Illinois, my boss, who was part of the Democratic leadership, and it was done under Pat Quinn's administration, and she was complaining that they were trying to get a bill to pass the the Illinois Assembly, and she was frustrated because no Republicans would vote for it. And I went, well, why would you need a Republican to vote for it? Because you have a supermajority in both houses. Right. And... I kept on that, just asking questions, and I'm not being confrontational. I just wanted to try to understand, and they needed the political cover and be able to say mm-hmm. it was bipartisan to get where they needed, and they had to push some people on their party to, to make the decision, too. A lot of people wonder about that. Why, why is that the case, Ben? If, if Democrats have the votes to pass something, why do they always want to wait for Republicans to jump on and help them out? I'm referring on the state or the national level? Well, both on the state or national level, although it's more in the case of the the state level where you have an overwhelming majority. Right. Um, I think think everyone on on the state level, at least from my perspective, really wants to do things that are bipartisan. They want to – they want to find – ways to agree with the other side. And I know that, you know, I, uh, at least my senator uh, that I work for, Senator Laura Fine, um, has worked with Republicans on numerous pieces of legislation. And, and it's, and it's hard to, I think that it's not as visible. It's not as, it's, as, it's not as talked about as much because it's, it's not as confrontational, right? So I, but. Well, why um, is it important? Why is it, why is it important? Why, why, if you're the leader of the Democrats, why don't you just say, damn it, we passed this bill with all Democrats, not a Republican did anything about it, run run against the Republicans. But it seems to me the Democrats spend an awful lot of time trying to convince Republicans to jump on, you know, with some of their ideas. We've got a pause, we've got callers on the line, and we'll continue from Chicago in a moment. stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. 
As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. When we continue in hour number two, we're going to be joined by Professor uh, Paul Post. He is from the University of Chicago, and his area of expertise is international relations. We're going to be talking about Russia and uh, and the Ukraine. And uh, we now go to Kevin, who's listening. Is it yeah, Kevin, listening to us in Austin, Texas, on KLBJ. Go ahead, Kevin. Are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead. Yes, I am. Okay, great. A couple of things I want to comment on. First, I enjoy what she was talking about. For people who are frustrated with the political process and the Mm -hmm. Democrats have gone too extreme, the Republicans have gone too extreme, and they're concerned about the national and, you know, state-level issues, get involved in the very, very local issue and, and become a precinct captain. That's where a lot of the decisions are made within the party. And if you want to get it to become moderated more, get involved. The scariest thing I was told from my uh, I had a, a priest is you never want to go and tell the priest, like, you know what they should do? They should do this, because then he makes you, you know, hey, great, you're the chair of the committee yeah. for that problem. <laughs> yep. uh, so anyhow, I, I think that's what people should do, and we should encourage people to become uh, precinct captains. 
uh, in the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party. And then back on the comments as far as uh, Illinois' uh, credit rating being improved, is that because they got a huge bailout from the feds? A lot of states did. I mm-hmm. forget, you know, which trillion-dollar package that was passed that yeah. did that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it, was it because the state tightened their belt and, uh, you know, tried to get rid of some of the corruption and that type of thing? You know, I don't think so. I think they just got a big fat paycheck from the feds. Yeah, well, and I think that's uh, part know. of it. Kevin, let me ask you a question. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm assuming you're a Republican or a conservative. No, you know what? I'd be, I've, 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 I guess that just become comes with age. I actually, at one point, I worked in the city of Chicago. Okay. Uh, before the city of Chicago, but I moved. I have moved down to Texas, and uh, I guess some of the scales have come off my eyes uh, because I'm in a different media market. It's Got a it. different world uh, down here. I'll tell you that. Right. Uh, where? More uh, independent. What? Uh, where do you come down on Donald Trump? and whether or not it would be a good idea for him to seek the presidency again? Um, I think he would be a better kingmaker than king. Um, and uh, I hope that people stick more on principles. Uh, you know, if I, I lean that direction as far as, you know, getting involved local politics, you know, less government intervention, using market forces for government solutions, I think, you know, a lot of the big issues that are down here, our parents are very upset in the last year as far as how their kids have been treated. Uh, I think their eyes have been opened because I know they have with mine because they see when their kids are online, they can see what the kids are being taught or mm-hmm. not taught right. or just how the processes are. Um, I think, mo- you know, as far as infrastructure, I just don't think that's an issue that people are going to be, you know, thought of. From my perspective, and talking to people, a lot of people are thinking, well, it's about time the government started paying for things that the government should have been fixing Mm -hmm. for the last 20 years. Uh, They kept putting off infrastructure because the other party didn't want to give the other side a win. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I think they're frustrated with that. Do you want Joe Biden to run again? (laughs) That's a local question. If, If I want a conservative to get in there, I would love Joe Biden to run again. Uh, Whereas the other in the forties, I think he's at a lower polling position than when uh, when Nixon went to the uh, helicopter. Yeah, if it isn't got any political capital, but if it isn't if it isn't Donald Trump, who is it? You you say you'd like to see somebody else? Who were the other names that because because I agree with you. I think there's people. I think there's people that would like to have some selection, but those people uh, whose Names have been bantied about. Most of them have already said, if Donald Trump runs, I'm not going to run. Well, that doesn't seem like you really want to run. We're an eternity, the, we're eternity, we're an eternity away from those decisions. I think most people are focused on 2022. Mm-hmm. I think more people, uh, just from people that I talk to, and I've got friends on both sides, mm-hmm. that are more interested in local elections. Yeah. More more people are excited about, you know what, I'm tired of the way things going. I was promised that if I got a shot, I, what was it, Barry Weiss had a great thing she talked about um, on with Bill Maher, saying, you know what, she should, we're just done with COVID. I was told that if I got a shot, everything was going to go back to normal, and yes. that hasn't happened. Yeah. Uh, Biden over-promised and under-delivered, and now people just want to get involved. And let's start solving some some problems. Okay. Good, uh, good, good, good know, comment. Good solutions. 
I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, let's thank go you, to Bill. Da- thank you. Let's go to Dave in Spokane. Are you there, Dave? Dave, are you there? Yep. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. Speak up. Okay. Yeah. Um, politics. Uh, people keep saying uh, making things political. Uh, when I meet my with my uh, father-in-law for. Uh, Thanksgiving or whatever nowadays, it seems like we're always saying, well, no politics now. And I'm like, it's really not politics. It's just life issues. And I always say, if not now, when? When are people going to get together and say, even though we differ on things, let's hash it out. Let's have a spirited debate. Let's talk about things. Because if you never do that, you just stay in your echo chamber consistently. And the other thing that really irritates me about this whole bipartisan thing, though, that I hear is we need things to be bipartisan, which I absolutely agree with, which is why we need supermajority votes, which is why the 60 vote for coiture is necessary in the Senate. But without that, you get complete, uh, uh, un, you get unreliability of, of the country. And when you're trying to plan as a company on strategizing your next decade out on what you're, where you're going to invest R&D, how you're going to uh, operate your, your company, you can't do it in a system where every time, one side or the other has 51 votes. They can change the laws one way or the other because you get complete chaos. That's why you want a slow and steady changing of things. Uh, and voting rights, you guys were talking about, we have voting rights in this country. It's a, it's a weaselly way to n- name this thing, the voting rights bill. It's really voting rules bill is what they're trying to do with nationalized rules. And Joe Biden's own state that he represented for the entire time he was a senator has some of the most terrible voting rules, if you're going to go by the new standards of what is considered voting rights, in the country. So where was he for the last, you know, 30-plus years? Uh, So anyway, those are some of my main issues. All right. Thanks for your call. Do appreciate it. When we come back, we'll be joined from the University of Chicago by Professor Paul Post. We'll be talking about Russia and the Ukraine and U.S. foreign policy. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. 
If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, WYND, AM 560, actually in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. That's where we originate this program. Nice to have you with us. Uh, We continue in our number two of our broadcast this evening. Uh, And uh, Ryan Yantis continues to join us. And uh, Ben also joins us. Ben Isabel also continues with us. And uh, we are now joined by Professor Paul Post. He is a professor at the University of Chicago. And uh, he also uh, specializes in international relations. And uh, I'm told sort of a walking encyclopedia of uh, uh, what's happening in in Ukraine and Russia. So, uh, Professor, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. I'd, I'd, I'd like to begin by having you tell the audience briefly... Why is this issue so important to the average American listening to this broadcast this evening? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, really a uh, pleasure to be able to join you tonight and, and talk about this important issue. And I like your question about why should the average American care? And the reason why this is a good question is Let's be honest, a lot of times when it comes to foreign policy, any foreign policy issue, most Americans don't pay that much attention. In fact, the Chicago Council of Global Affairs, who always conducts surveys of like U.S. public opinion on foreign policy, finds that that is indeed the case. A lot of Americans don't pay attention. Maybe the one exception being trade and perhaps immigration being another one, but that's Mm -hmm. because people pay attention to that for their jobs. Right. So why should we care? If that's the baseline, then why is it that we should care about what's happening over not just in Europe, but in Eastern Europe, the border with Russia? Why is this something that should be of concern to the average American? Well, the reason why is because this is these events are carrying the greatest potential, in my view, of a major power war, maybe not on the scale of World War One, maybe not on the scale of World War Two but a major power war since the end of the Cold War. Obviously during the Cold War, there was always this possibility of Mm -hmm. war between the Soviet Union and the United States. And of course, nuclear war being the the primary thing that people were concerned about. Mm -hmm. And since the Cold War, there hasn't been that threat. 
Well, what we're witnessing in Ukraine, really what's been simmering and building up since 2014 when Russia invaded and took over Crimea, this we are now at a point where the potential for a major power war that brings in the United States that would involve U.S. troops, would involve all the NATO allies, and potentially could escalate to the level of nuclear war because you would be dealing with nuclear armed states that are part of NATO and, of course, a nuclear armed Russia. That is something that should be of great concern to all Americans. Mm -hmm. Now, most Americans know that NATO has been a, a unifying force uh, for the United States and, and other free nations of the world uh, for well well over 50 years now. But there are new members uh, of, of NATO that have joined in the last, let's say, 15, 15 to 20 years. Who are the new nations in NATO? Because one concern that we read about Vladimir Putin is he does not want the Ukraine to be the next member of NATO. Right. So since the end of the Cold War, one of the things that happened has been an expansion of the NATO alliance. And so just to a little bit more context, mm -hmm. though I'm sure a lot of your listeners are already aware of this, but of course, NATO was created in 1949 primarily as an alliance to counter the Soviet Union, the potential for the Soviet Union to invade mm -hmm. Russia but or to invade Europe but also as a way to ensure that communism didn't spring up within the country itself, the NATO members, so the members of the Western Alliance, if mm -hmm. you will, France, Britain, West Germany at the time, and being supported by the United States and Canada on the other side of the Atlantic. And so that was the goal. As the phrase that's often attributed to Lord Ismay, who was one of the first um, secretary generals of NATO, said was that NATO was designed to keep the Americans in, the Russians out and the Germans down. And that was the point of NATO. But since the end of the Cold War, if that was why NATO was created, well, once the Cold War is over, you then have to ask this question, well, then what's the purpose of NATO now? If it was created in the Cold War, it was created to prevent spread of communism, to deter Russia, what's the purpose then? And the mission that NATO took on after the end of the Cold War was to expand, was to bring in a lot of the countries that have been part of the Warsaw Pact, that was the Soviet Union's equivalent of NATO. That was countries like Poland, like Czechoslovakia, but then of course the Czech Republic and then Slovakia, that was um, Hungary. And so these countries in 1999 became members of NATO. And then NATO continued to expand eastward to then eventually bringing in the Baltic states. And the Baltic states are significant because unlike the other countries who were part of the Warsaw Pact, the Baltic states were actually part of the Soviet Union itself. Now, they had been occupied, they had been taken over during mm -hmm. World War II, but they were part of the Soviet Union. And now, as independent states, they were becoming part of this alliance that had been designed to counter the Soviet Union, or to counter Russia. And so that, in many ways, very much changed the game, if you will, where instead of this simply being maybe a stabilizing force to help ensure that there was not proliferation of nuclear weapons after the the Cold War, or to help maybe promote democracy throughout Western, throughout Eastern Europe, the former Soviet Union. Now, all of a sudden, you have former Soviet republics joining NATO. And in many ways, the reason why that changed the game was because from Russia's perspective, this wasn't just NATO encroaching on its, quote, sphere of influence. 
This was now NATO encroaching in an area that used to actually be part of the country, or what they mm -hmm. refer to as the near abroad in Russia. And that includes not just the Baltic states, but countries like Ukraine, like Kazakhstan, like Georgia, where we had an incident, we had, of course, a conflict in 2008, mm -hmm. very similar, that there was concerns that Georgia was going to become a member. Now, also, uh, so isn't, that, yes. is, isn't it a mission of NATO, I mean, the, the alliance, is that an attack against one nation is considered an attack against all, and it brings them all together to go after those that perpetrated uh, any act of, of violence against them. Absolutely. This was okay. exactly why the Baltic states wanted to join NATO after the right. Cold War. Because from the Baltic states' perspective, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, these are all countries that had been invaded and occupied by the Soviet Union. And so from their perspective, the number one thing they needed was protection. And they felt that the only way that could be achieved was by being a member of NATO so that they could have that what we call Article 5 protection. Article mm -hmm. 5 is Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty. Right. That is this mutual defense clause, which is that an attack on one is an attack on all. Now, interestingly enough, especially from the perspective of Americans, that article has only been invoked one time. Now, one time was on September 12th, yes. 2001. It was following the September 11th attacks. Right. And that was NATO considered those attacks to be an attack on all the allies that have then enabled them to give support to the United States in its right. various operations engaged in afterwards. Mm -hmm. So yes, this Article 5 is very important. And that's why once you become a member of the club, you now mm -hmm. fall under that. And this is what Russia is concerned about, is that if Ukraine becomes a member of that club, they will now have this Article 5 protection. Right, and they don't, and they certainly don't want that. On that note, we do have to pause. We're talking to Professor Paul uh, Post. University of Chicago International Relations. And when we come back, uh, uh, our guests in studio also have some questions for you as well. We'll hear from them and also callers at 1-800-723-8029. From coast to coast and border to border, I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Beyond the Beltway. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. 
I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Schumont back. We continue now with uh, Professor Paul Post, and we're also joined by Ben Isabel. Uh, he is a Democrat, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis, who wants to be identified as, as a conservative, so he joins us tonight. And uh, Professor uh, uh, Ben has a question for you. Go ahead, Ben. Um, hi, Professor. Um, uh, my question deals with the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, and uh, I just wanted to get your stance on and expertise about how that factors into to um, Russia's determinations going forward, whether or not it invades um, Ukraine or not, um, because um, Russia exports about 40 to 50 percent of its gas to Europe. Germany takes about 75 percent of that uh, or needs 75 percent of its natural gas from Russia. You know, would if if they were to invade Germany saying, you know, um, well, we'll just stop the, the construction of the pipeline, you know, would would the threat of that be a sort of deterrent for uh, for Putin to um, to invade Ukraine, Professor? It's a great question. Yes, it's a great question because the especially in light of what we've been seeing in just the past few days, where Germany seems to not be fully in step with the U.S. and with the British in terms of the policy towards Russia. And for me, on the one hand, yes, the Nord Stream 2 is obviously it was a sticking point, uh, especially during the Trump administration. He raised a big deal about this, but it's really, you know, goes beyond. It's kind of a it's a bipartisan issue. hence being brought up by yourself. Right. It's like concern about how does this change Germany's incentives? My own view is that when it comes to policies that are considered core, core interest to a country, Economic incentives don't have the same effect in terms of tamping down the tensions. To give you an example is not to look at Europe, but go to actually East Asia. Back in 2017, we were on the brink of war with North Korea, and there was a good chance that China was going to actually back North Korea in that war, even though, obviously, China's government 
The U.S. government, very much aware of the economic consequences of that. But when it came to supporting what was considered a core national security interest on the part of China, which is supporting North Korea, they were willing to, if need be, support North Korea in that case. And the economic loss there would be much greater than it would be for Russia with respect to the cutting off this natural gas Nord Stream 2. So I really think that the threat of economic sanctions, the threat of cutting off the production of these pipelines, I think it can make a difference in some issues. But here, if Putin and the Russian government feel like having Ukraine, preventing Ukraine from being part of NATO, or even annexing eastern Ukraine, if they consider that to be a core national security interest, the economic levers aren't going to be able to do much. Ryan Yantis, a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, retired, joins us. He's got a comment as well. Hi, Professor, and uh, glad you're here, uh, enjoying listening to you talk. I was at the uh, NATO SHAPE headquarters in February of 94, when President Clinton announced his Partnership for Peace plan to expand NATO uh, and to carry NATO uh, into other areas that had formerly been part of uh, the Warsaw Pact. At that time, following that Partnership for Peace, there was actually discussion that I recall about including Russia in NATO. What are your thoughts on that? If we brought them and offered them a seat at the table within the NATO framework, is that a way of having a discourse with Russia and saying, hey, come and have a seat at the fire. Uh, let's all talk. You know, you're safe here. Is that a way of getting around this? Great question about the partnership <laughs> for peace. And yes, I think the phrase was used that it was a way of getting um, NATO dirt under the fingernails of these countries, right? That was the phrase I recall that uh, someone was using at NATO at the time about what the point of the partnership for peace was. And it's really interesting to think about Russia's relationship. And yes, there very much were these conversations about could Russia actually become a member of NATO? I don't know how much that was ultimately taken seriously, but something that was taken very seriously was the creation of the NATO-Russia Council which was to accomplish exactly what you're describing, which was to try to have a dialogue between NATO and Russia in the context of a new age, new world order, trying to promote democracy throughout Eastern Europe. And keep in mind that this was developed at a time when Russia itself was making a lot of progress towards democracy. Russia had been brought into the G8. And so at that time, I think there was a lot of movement towards increasing the dialogue between NATO and Russia. Whether it would have gone as far as Russia becoming part of NATO, I don't know if that ever would have been the case, but there were institutions in place to try to improve this. Really, the question became, in my view, those things started to fall apart. And the question becomes why? Why did they fall apart? My own view on it is I really think what started to undermine these institutions and these attempts was that NATO expansion went too far. I really do think that when NATO started to go into the republics, into the Baltic states, this was something that even Boris Yeltsin had said is a red line for the Russian government. So this isn't something unique to Putin. And so I think that that in many ways started to change the thinking on the part of Russia in terms of what kind of partnership they could have with NATO. I'm always interested in uh, the timing of world events. And I'm wondering if you can uh, suggest to us 
what's unique about this moment in time for Vladimir Putin to look at this possible uh, incursion or invasion of the Ukraine at this moment or in the next couple of weeks? There's a couple factors that I think are unique to what's happening right now that explains what we're witnessing. So first of all, important to keep in mind, it's been mentioned already, but it's important to keep in mind that the crisis in Ukraine has been unfolding for several years now, that Russia had taken over Crimea back in 2014. Mm -hmm. There's been conflict going on in eastern Ukraine for pretty much since that time. But the key thing when I think about timing, and hence your question is, why the escalation? Why now? Why are we suddenly now talking about bringing, why is Russia massing these troops? And for me, I think there is a bit of a domestic story here. It's very similar, if we want to draw another analogy, it's very similar to looking at what China was doing, especially in 2020, 2021, where they started, you saw them escalating a variety of crises. You saw them escalating tensions with India. Um, in the Himalayas. You saw them escalating tensions with Japan. Um, that was when they started the reforms, uh, changing the laws regarding Hong Kong. And the question was, people were looking like, whoa, what, what is China doing here? Well, the China, their government was receiving a lot of criticism at home for their handling of COVID-19. And so there was a perception that this was maybe a bit of a diversionary tactic to try to take that pressure off. Well, Putin's been facing similar criticism economic hardships at home, handling of the pandemic. And so I don't think that this is totally independent from the global pandemic of seeing an escalation of this crisis as a way of, I wouldn't say necessarily wag the dog is kind of the phrase you'll hear mm -hmm. people use right. about this, but I do think this desire to kind of deter or at least get a quote win politically is this can be achieved in foreign policy because it's not happening at home. So I do think that this plays some role. In the last couple of, uh, actually, several days, uh, the, uh, Britain has been the, the principal source of two major uh, uh, revelations. One that uh, Russia tried to get uh, infiltrators into the Ukraine to try to create diversions and create an opposition or feed an opposition uh, to the current administration. And the second is that uh, they are ready to put a puppet in place because they want to they want to get rid of the current uh, president of Ukraine. Why? And uh, I want I want you to comment on each piece of intelligence, but. Why are we getting this intelligence from uh, the British? What makes that unique at this moment in time? Well, honestly, I can't speak exactly to, not because I have secret information I can't right. share, but yeah. I, I can't speak to exactly why the British are the ones that are able to provide this intelligence, except that, you know, this has always been kind of the, the hallmark of the British, even going back to World War II, right? That the, the phrase was that World War II was one with Russian blood, uh, British intelligence and American weapons, right? Uh -huh. And so the British have always had kind of this, you know, and, you know, whether you want to say James Bond or what have you, but, you know, they, they've could always had be, a reputation could, could for this be, strong intelligence could, sources, could, could this especially be, when it comes to Europe. Could this Russia. be the, could, so be this, that, could oh, this be ahead. Boris Yeltsin's wag the dog to, to uh, take uh, pressure off his domestic political issues, which appear to be significant? 
Well, I think that this is this, these things could be happening as well. Yes, I think that there is a little mm -hmm. bit of that uh, going on. Um, but for me, going back to like the question of these sources and why Russia would be attempting to say cause a, if you will, an excuse to be able to have like some sort of other crisis that would could justify the invasion, mm -hmm. um, being able to put in place a puppet government. This is what Russia has been doing with its neighbors. This was actually the biggest concern that the Baltic states had. Wasn't mm -hmm. so much that Russian tanks would come rumbling through, though that is a concern. Mm -hmm. but it was a concern that Russia would try to undermine their government, put in place a um, puppet regime, and then you would have kind of a similar relationship between Russia and the Baltics, Russia and Ukraine, that you now see with Russia and Belarus. And of course, with Belarus, we've had a number of issues. And it's because it's so closely tied to Russia. So I think that's the reason why there's a great concern that that would happen. Mm. Uh, we have more questions. I don't want to go to them right now because we're coming up to a break. But also, uh, uh, one other issue we want to talk about is... Uh, Vladimir Putin's health. What happens when Vladimir Putin goes away? Who replaces him? What sort of government uh, is on the horizon for Russia? We'll talk about that issue with Professor Paul Post of the University of Chicago and our in-studio guests, Ben Isabel and Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. 
Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back, and thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, we met uh, Ben Isabel and Ryan Yantis at the uh, midpoint in our first hour, so uh, I'd like to take a moment, uh, Professor, to have you, uh, in your own words, uh, share with our audience a little bit about uh, your background and uh, of all the things that uh, you could become an expertise in, have your expertise in. What was it about international relations and specific, uh, specifically uh, Russia and Ukraine that uh, uh, f- focused your attention there? So, yes, yeah, so I'm a professor at the University of Chicago, um, and my area of expertise is international relations, uh, primarily international security. I study alliances, and so hence that would be a big thing. NATO has been a big part of my research for a mm-hmm. long time. Uh, you can't study alliances without studying NATO. And so needless to say, because of that, that is a big thing that drew my attention and has is why I've paid attention. I did a lot of research about the Baltic states, so hence why I brought them in, and I've Mm -hmm. been talking about them uh, quite a bit this evening. So that's a major reason why I study Russia. Another thing, though, that's kind of interesting is I've been making the argument, I continue to make the argument, that you really can't study international security, either in the contemporary world or historically, without talking about Russia. Russia has always, as a friend of mine said, Russia seems to always play the heavy. If you go back to Napoleon, what's the big thing that Napoleon did was famous for? Invading Russia, right? And of course, he lost. And of course, we can think about Hitler. What is it that he did? In many ways, Hitler was very obsessed with invading Russia. Of course, he lost. If we go back to World War I, the primary belligerence that really sparked that was Germany and Russia. And of course, the Cold War and now today. So, if you're going to study international security, you really do have to think about Russia and focus on Russia. So that's a big reason why that's been an area of my research. Ben's got a question for you. Yeah, so um, it deals with um, Putin's reasoning behind um, everything and why, why, you know, we were talking about why now, why why uh, this year, why this time. Um, there had been some rumors in the past um, in 2020, um, and I know that uh, they came out of mostly tabloids, but that his health was declining. He either had Parkinson's or was dealing with cancer. And while those were shot down, I uh, those rumors were shot down by the UK. Um, you know, he's he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's, he's uh, close to being 70 years old. And, you know, maybe do, you know, as we pontificate, just, do you think... Um, his age and and you know longing for um, uh, the old USSR that he grew up in. Like, uh, do, do you think that that has any um, any bearing on what he's doing now and and why now? Yes, I do think that it has a bearing on the idea that he wants to leave this legacy. 
right? And I think you touched on it very well about this notion of the great, you know, the USSR, he very much, I think, believed in the mission of it. Uh, and I think, but I, let me say it like this. It's important, especially if we want to talk about who would come after Putin, it's important to recognize that he's not the only one that shares this view. This is not a unique view. We like to use the phrase Putinism, mm -hmm. but I actually think that's a misnomer. The reason why is, let's think about why Putin's even in power. Putin's in power, he was picked by Yeltsin. So even though Yeltsin was you know, the Democrat, he's bringing in democracy, he's the reformer, he picked Putin and, I, and he very well knew what Putin was about. And I think that you're going to see the same thing with whoever follows with Putin, that there is this view that Russia, yes, they could have cordial relations with the, quote, West, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, Russia has interests in their near abroad. They have interest, they have a history of kind of always being a bit of an outsider. And I think rightfully so, they've always looked at it. Again, going back to what I was just saying with their history of experiencing aggression by other countries. And so as a result, I think that anything we attribute to Putin, we have to be careful of how much we attribute that to Putin. So yes, I do agree that Putin has his own personal views about the greatness of Soviet Union, the, the Russian Empire before that, and so on and so forth. But I don't think those views are unique to him. And I actually think they're fairly widely held throughout the Russian government. Colonel, I know you have a question as well, but I want to ask you a question because of your military background. Uh, what can you tell us about the military strength of uh, Russia today and also the military strength of uh, the Ukraine? Well, I wish I had a better sense of the order of battle of the, the current Russian army. Mm -hmm. uh, Russia has been using a lot of legacy systems from Soviet times because tanks, armored personnel carriers, weapon systems are expensive to develop. Now, in recent days, uh, the Russians have sortied about 140 ships and put them out to sea. And they've gone out in the Mediterranean, they've gone out in the North Sea, Pacific, uh, the Black Sea, uh, quite a show of force to the point that uh, the recent uh, Pentagon press briefing, uh, the spokesman was asked if they thought the Russians were missing a nuclear-armed sub, mm. which was a nod to uh, the hunt for Red October. Right, yeah. And uh, uh, Admiral Kirby did a good job of answering that. But the number of troops that are on the border of the Ukraine is not as significant because it's only 120,000 or so. Um, that's a sizable number, but given the, the space and the, the amount of terrain that Ukraine How takes, big is that border, do you know? Um, it's about 150 miles from, that is common between what we would call Ukraine and Russia, but then you have the, the two contested states of the Ukraine that the Russians are occupying. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Crimea. But the approaches to Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine, have been flanked from Belarus. So if there were some sort of attack that was launched and it came from the north in Belarus heading south into Kiev, there's about 30 miles of uh, terrain between that border and the capital. And that puts Kiev at risk and it takes away some of the natural defensive lines that rivers and other natural obstacles provide going east. Professor Post, would you add anything about uh, the military aspect of this discussion? 
one of the key things to keep in mind when it comes to talking about the military element and the different assets that Russia has is, first of all, yes, they, they are very much dated. Um, having said that, Russia still produces, they're still a major exporter of arms. Um, but I think the key thing is when you look at the history of Russia, you look at going back to the Soviet times um, or even earlier, Russia's always, Russia has never been in a position of economic strength enabling military power. Um, that's part of the reason why it's always been viewed as a bit of a backwards country, right? And yet it has never prevented the country from pursuing whatever it felt it needed to pursue with respect to military operations. And so I think that even with the military using dated equipment, and even with the, say, ability to maybe not muster as large of an army as it would otherwise want to, it also doesn't have to project power across thousands of miles. It doesn't have to project power across um, oceans. It only has to go across the border. And so in that sense, it's possible for Russia to punch above its weight, as it always has, militarily speaking. But also, does, does their uh, engagement... Uh, and I would say maybe sophistication uh, in cyber warfare, does that give them a, uh, where would you put that in comparison with the United States, uh, with the Ukraine, and also the collective countries of, uh, of NATO? It seems to me that uh, maybe that's a, a more contemporary uh, part of the, uh, the, the warfare arsenal, that uh, maybe they're a little more advanced than uh, uh, than the old stuff that they're using from, uh, you know, 25 years ago. When it comes to cyber, yes, Russia is, uh, relatively speaking, it's a great point. I think Russia is much more advanced on the cyber front than they are with respect to conventional weaponry. Having said that, we, of course, know a lot about Russia making use of cyber operations. Um, and in fact, we've become pretty adept at being able to address those counter those so forth. So I think even in the, just like with conventional weapons, Russia has a sizable force, but yet NATO, the United States and others are able to counter that have much larger force. It's the same thing with cyber. And I think the U.S., if you look at the combined resources that the NATO allies, the United States are dedicating towards cyber operations, it still overwhelms what Russia can do. Having said that, though, it's still a potential threat. There's still the possibility that it can be used in conjunction with a conventional operation. Maybe it can be used to disrupt services, disrupt electricity. There's, there's ways that they could be able to make use of it, which again, they don't have to have a huge force in order to do a lot of damage. Again, even in cyber, it allows them to punch well above their weight relative to what the other countries would have. Uh, a, a Soviet, I don't think it was uh, one of their key figures, but uh, it's been mentioned in the last couple of weeks, and that is the use of, uh, of, of Russian uh, military uh, forces, not necessarily troops as much as you know, hardware, uh, in Cuba and in Venezuela. Uh, how, how real is that? It seems to me that you would have dictators in each of those countries that would welcome uh, an involvement or an incursion of some kind on the part of Russia. But uh, is that, would that be pushing the envelope maybe a little bit too far uh, and, and rubbing it in our noses that uh, uh, 
they would suffer badly because of that? This is what you're pointing to and what we're talking about right now is exactly why there was the Cuban Missile Crisis back in the early 1960s, right? Was it was the same thing. It was the U.S. because Turkey had joined NATO, the United States had nuclear warheads in Turkey pointed towards Russia. Professor, I've got, I've, got, I've, I've got to inter- interrupt you right now because we're going to a commercial break. When we come back, I want you to follow up on that. It was uh, bad of me to ask the question with the music playing, but... Uh, Uh, We haven't had the music playing all night tonight, so back shortly. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free, 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay? isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm uh, coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. <clears throat> uh, 
Bruce Dumont back, and uh, a question to you, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, the military uh, materials that are being provided to the Ukraine now, can you describe what's going to them? Well, and I don't have a full listing, but they're right. getting increased anti-tank capability uh, from NATO member states in the United States, Javelin weapon systems, which give them about a five-kilometer standoff uh, fire-and-forget missile that is uh, very effective against tanks. They're also getting arms and ammunition from the United States and other NATO partner countries. Uh, the United Kingdom, for example, though, flew weapons in, avoiding German airspace because Germany right. doesn't want to get involved. Had to because, go through to Denmark. Yeah. Right. right. They, they did bad things in the Ukraine during World War II, and Germany's reticence about getting engaged in some place they fought in World War II. Now, you say that Germany is also putting uh, the kibosh on a couple of other opportunities for weapons from uh, Warsaw Pact countries. Tell us about that story. So when uh, East Germany fell, there was a number of of, uh, Russian-produced weapon systems. One of those was an artillery system called the D-30. Germany had those in excess. They sold them to Finland, who passed them over to Estonia. Estonia has offered them to the Ukraine. And Germany said, no, no, wait a minute. You can't do that. Can't Mm -hmm. transfer those weapons there. They started with us. So as the country of origin, even though they were made in Russia, mm-hmm. uh, you can't send them in to help Ukraine. Yeah. Professor Prost, uh, I want to ask you one perhaps final question. The way in which the Biden administration handled the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, do you think that emboldened Putin in any way? That is a question that a lot of people, um, I wouldn't even say that the question people are asking, that's a claim that you've seen a lot of people make, right? Is mm-hmm. that the way that Afghanistan ended, that the U.S. withdrawal, that that would have profound implications for the credibility of U.S. alliance commitments, right? Mm-hmm. And that the idea being that, well, look, the U.S. just pulled up and left out of Afghanistan, so what does that mean for Taiwan? What does that mean for Japan? What yeah. does that mean for Ukraine? or even the NATO allies stuff. That's the claim that was made. But the counter argument to it, and this is actually where I fall on this, is that by ending our operations in Afghanistan, it's allowing us to actually focus on areas that may be considered more core interests to the United States, such as Europe and East Asia, that we're no longer being bogged down both in terms of actual military assets, which maybe, you know, by the end, we didn't have a lot there, but also in terms of political capital. You're constantly having to explain why are we in Afghanistan? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And you can now set all that aside. And I think Biden made the right call on that. I think Biden even said that this just has to be done. We have to do this. And of course, that did start with the Trump administration of signing the actual agreement. We can argue about whether the agreement should have been signed the way it was signed, what have you but you can tell that there was this movement to finally end it. So from my perspective, I actually think getting out of Afghanistan, even though the actual ending probably wasn't handled in the best way. In fact, I think we can eliminate probably from that. It wasn't handled in the best way. But getting out of Afghanistan does allow the U.S., I think, to actually be more committed to its existing allies. And so in that sense, I don't think that it had much of a role in what we're currently seeing. In one month from today, 
Do you think that Russia will already have invaded uh, the Ukraine or not in one month? One month, from, one month from today, we yeah. already been, it, it's a it's greater than fifty percent chance. Now, here's the one thing that I would say is I would say it's a greater than fifty percent chance. But will we see a full fledged invasion, run on Kiev type of scenario? That I actually think is less than fifty percent. I think what we will end up seeing is more of maybe the best phrase to use is a salami tactic. Right, where you'll see Russian forces move in, maybe take part of the territory. They'll do just enough that it'll basically put NATO in an awkward spot of, okay, that's not really enough to justify full-fledged um, operations. Did and Biden, so, did Biden make a mistake? Did, Biden, some of their did Biden make a mistake yeah. when he said, uh, you know, a, a, little, a little incursion may be okay? Was that a mistake or uh, I mean, did he mean it? I, I don't know if it was a mistake as more of, you know, Biden knows foreign policy. And I think it was more of a statement of, of kind of reality that this is probably what's going to happen. So I think that that's what we're going to see. And so maybe in one ways, I mean, if I was Biden, I probably wouldn't have made that statement. But I do think well, it's Blinken a factual statement. That. Blink, that Blinken's probably Blinken, what we're going to witness is a small Bl- invasion. Blinken's going out of the way to, to come down real hard. That it's not going to these, these this minor incursion is not an idea that uh, that he supports. Although he's the Secretary of State, not the President, but certainly that's time. Listen, uh, uh, I've got some time. I know at the end I want to talk to Ryan Yantis uh, with something, but we're almost out of time. Uh, Professor, thank you very much, Professor Paul uh, Post. Uh, from the University of Chicago. Great guest this evening, Ben Isabel. Thank you very much. If people are interested in the book, how do they get a copy of your book uh, and uh, give it out right now, quickly? Well, go on Amazon.com, look us up. It's uh, 911-AmericanPrideInc.org. Uh, uh, and uh, I am Bruce Dumont, and... Uh, I think we're almost out of time for this evening. Our thanks to uh, our guest, Ryan Yantis. Always good to see you, uh, Ryan and Ben. A nice job on your maiden voyage here on <laughs> Beyond the Belly. You can go back to Springfield and say you're now a, an expert <laughs> in world affairs, having uh, dabbled with uh, uh, the likes of Professor Paul uh, Post from the University of Chicago. And, and Paul, thank you very much. Uh, it, it, it's great when we have people of your stature who are willing to take uh, an hour out on a Sunday night to share your expertise uh, uh, with our audience from coast to coast, and I really appreciate it. Uh, these are complicated times, and uh, it's important that we uh, reach out and hear from people that know a lot more than uh, the average person on the street about the subject. So thank you very much for uh, being with us. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much. For our Frank's, uh, thanks to uh, Fritz Goldman, the ever-popular Fritz Goldman, uh, who has been, uh, he's been whipping that, that uh, orchestra all night to get them wake up and play the music when the music is right. That's our time right now. The music is a-playing. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. 
she could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.